Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What is good, everybody? Welcome to the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero, and with me, as always, on a Tuesday from Bleeding Green Nation, Brandon Lee Gowton. What's up, BLG? Stats, I can't wait till we get to the regular season and the power rankings are back on this show. But, spoiler alert, sounds like we have some power rankings to get to today of a different variety. Yeah, see, look, I don't know if people know this. Maybe you've just joined us over the past couple months. We have the only 100% accurate power rankings in all of NFL podcast fiefdom or kingdom or whatever you want to say. But we want to see some regular, uh, some preseason games. We want to see who gets hurt. You know, we want as much information as possible. So while we usually do power rankings, we're not going to do the team power rankings until we get closer to the start of the regular season because we feel like we owe it to the people, Brandon, to make sure we get them right. You want Brandon there instead of BLG. Uh, interesting. I like it. That is my first name. I'm fine with that. <laughs> BLG was never actually even a thing until uh, I really started writing. But this is a tangent. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's time to get into some of the dysfunctional things around the league that are still being sorted out as we are, what, about a month or so here? Less than a month until uh, the very first preseason game. The Cowboys losing to the Bucks on Thursday night. That'll be fun. So, uh, so yeah. <laughs> oh, the Cowboys hate is just seeping through. And by the way, we're going to talk a little Cowboys before we go today also because Hard Knocks debuts tonight. So we've got some expectations for what we want to see there. So we'll, you'll get a chance to rip on the Cowboys a little bit before we go. Uh, Before we get into our power rankings, let's just remind everybody, please rate, review, follow the SB Nation NFL show. We really do appreciate you taking the extra time. You can also watch Monday Football Monday now live because we stream that. Hopefully we're going to stream some more things, but you get a lot with the SB Nation NFL show, including, like we said, Monday Football Monday live stream, which I have watched BLG and I have enjoyed. Eh, that's all right. It's fine. I mean, if you have nothing else going on, you can, no, you obviously you should watch it. Obviously, I have to be a company man here and help support the show. You know, they like to talk down on our show over there all the time, which is really just sad because, you know, it kind of just shows you how they, uh, you know, they just think so highly of us and they're jealous and everything. So that's sad to see. But uh, you should go support their show and watch them. And also with those ratings and reviews, as you always like to say, stats, leave a question, because if you leave a question in the reviews, we are legally obligated to answer it no matter what. So you could ask any question and we'll have to address it in some form. So go do that. There's a lot of stuff going on. I know you got questions. I've got questions. So ask us and we will do our best to give you a quality answer on the program. All right. There are five dysfunctional situations that I have power ranked in terms of how much they impact the team this season and how much they impact the team going forward. They are the Seahawks, 
with Jamal Adams and Dwayne Brown and Russell Wilson thrown in that stew as well. The Texans mm. with Deshaun Watson, the Patriots, and the ongoing anger of Stephon Gilmore over his contract situation. The New Orleans Saints, whose season appears to be unraveling, most recently with Michael Thomas sort of trashing the organization and then deleting a tweet. And finally, the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, who also people seem to forget is a free agent after this season. So I have put all those into the into the lab. I've crunched the numbers. I've considered things carefully, and I have ranked them in terms of importance, like I said, to this season and beyond. Why don't we start from the bottom? Does that make sense to you? Start from the bottom, and now we're here? The least important situation, number five, is that what you're saying? Yeah, we got to ramp up stats. We got to keep right. the drama and the intrigue here. I think you might disagree with me, but I actually put the Texans and Deshaun Watson at number five. And the reason is because of all the legal situation, because of the legal situation going on, everything might be taken out of Houston's hands, right? Like if Deshaun Watson goes to jail or whatever happens with this legal situation, he could get suspended by the league. So they may not be able to do anything with him for a significant chunk of time. And that's why I put it at number five, because if it's all taken out of their hands, I mean, what are they going to do? They, they can't do anything. They got to roll with Tyrod Taylor or Davis Mills and, and just go from there. I think we're all looking at this based on how uh, expectations have been adjusted too, And I think we're all coming into the season knowing the Houston Texans aren't going to have some kind of great year. Like the expectations for that have long been gone. So I think framing it in that context and how it's not just about this year, because if this is just about this year, then this easily could be number one. If it's only about the 2021 season. Um, but the other thing with this too, in terms of ranking, like the, the how much of a disaster scenario this is. I mean, again, it's huge in the sense that you have a top five kind of quarterback here and he seemingly is never going to play for the team again. I know the Texans are reportedly trying to still make that work, but uh, John McClain is saying it's not happening. He's not playing another snap for the Texans ever again, and I trust him when it comes to the Texans, so I think we can take his word there. Uh, Yeah, so it's it's a big deal, and I guess part of it, too, which kind of makes it not a disaster, is that there's still the potential for them to get like a pretty good return in a trade I don't know when, and obviously all pending the legal situations and everything, but it seems like at some point, I don't know if it's this year or next year, there is going to be probably a market for Deshaun Watson and Texans are going to be able to get potentially multiple first round picks and try to rebuild and, and, you know, figure this thing out. It's not ideal, but they might be able to make the most out of it. One thing I saw written about the situation that made me do like a double take regarding a trade of Deshaun Watson. It was from pro football talk. And Mike Florio wrote that, Another factor when it comes to trading Watson traces to Bill Belichick. It is believed that, like so many former Belichick lieutenants, Texans GM Nick Casario doesn't want to do a deal that Belichick would regard as a bad one, so Casario would instead prefer to do no deal at all, at least for now. That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Who cares what Bill Belichick thinks of your trade? First of all, Bill Belichick, the GM, not really that great. Hasn't really have the best track record of making like amazing trades. So like, why do you care what Bill Belichick thinks? Do what's best for you and your organization. If that's true and Casario has that anywhere in his mind, BLG, that just makes the situation so much worse. 
I mean, even if Belichick was like the best GM ever, like why would you care what he thinks? Like it's it's not like he's not part of the organization, not part of the organization. Like it literally doesn't matter. Again, do what's best for you. And there's so much to play out here. Uh, and obviously, the nature of this situation is number one in terms of disaster potential, just because of you know what's involved with Deshaun Watson and the allegations and everything. But you know, obviously, just from a football perspective, um, it's it's weird. I think it's kind of it goes back to what I said about expectations and how the Texans just feel like a back burner team right now. And we all know they're going to have this bad year, so it's not going to be shocking slash if uh, if slash when it happens. And Watson is not going to travel with the team for the preseason opener, which I think is smart. Keep him, keep him, you know, just in bubble wrap, so to speak. And and if a, an opportunity to trade him does come up, then you can do that. And you don't have to worry about him getting hurt or possibly, you know, getting COVID. Who knows? So I think it's smart that he doesn't travel with the team. But I put them because of the legal stuff, like you mentioned, I put it at number five because like if he goes to jail, I mean, there's nothing Houston is going to be able to do about that. Number four on my list of dysfunction in the power rankings, I put the Patriots and Stefan Gilmore. Um, and I think it's a little bit of an issue because I think defense is still New England's strength. But ultimately, BLG, I don't know how you feel. I feel like the Patriots are not going to be good enough to compete with or without Stefan Gilmore. So I couldn't put it any higher than this. Like, I don't think he's the difference between them making the playoffs and missing the playoffs. Yeah. I kind of don't know how to feel about this in the sense of like, I don't think it's necessarily an all in year for the Patriots because I mean, you don't really have a quarterback who makes it an all in year. Your options are Cam Newton who didn't play well last year. And even if you're optimistic about him, like, you know, what best quarterback is he in the NFL? Even if you're feeling really good about Cam coming off of last year and, or it's Mac Jones, who's a rookie. And, you know, you're only going to have so much success very likely with a rookie quarterback who again, might not even start week one anyway. So, uh, but at the same time, with that said, they spent all this money stats. They spent all this money, in the off season. And that's what part of makes the, that's what part of what makes this situation kind of like confusing or, or frustrating. It's like, okay, you spent all this money, but then you're kind of not going to pay the guy to make sure to keep him happy. And Stefan Gilmore, who, uh, you know, maybe he's not quite at the top of his game anymore. Like he was at his very peak, but he's still a very, very good player. Um, so it's kind of weird to me that they kind of have like not, it doesn't seem like they're all pulling one way in terms of the timeline, in terms of this being an all in season and everything. I totally agree. And do you think that Bill Belichick feels more pressure to make the playoffs this year because Brady is no longer there and because Brady won the Super Bowl last year and New England missed the playoffs? You would, I don't know, I would think that maybe Bill would might be willing to bend a little bit on some of his strict rules to try and make the playoffs because, you know, he can claim to not care about what the media says and all that stuff. But I still think in places he doesn't talk about at parties, it bugs him that people last year were saying, look at Brady, clearly it was all him. You know, he he's more responsible for the Patriots' success than Bill was. That would bother me. I think it would bother anybody. Well, it's true. That's why, that's why, you know, the truth hurts. That's, uh, it's just, it is like, you want to say it's not true. Fine. I'm not saying Belichick deserves zero credit. Obviously, uh, the situation in new England can only happen because you have a special head coach and a special quarterback. But I mean, right now, you know, it's hard not to say that, you know, Brady, if you're looking at, you know, which is the bigger of the two reasons for success, I think you have to go with Brady. I think Brady is more special as a quarterback 
then Belichick is special as a head coach. And wow. I'm sure that's going to make some people mad. But, yeah, uh, I, well, look, the onus is on him, though, to prove it, right? This, like, so if they have a bad year this year, that's only going to lead to that, right? That's only going to, like, continue to lead to that. And maybe it's, it's, again, it's not that to say that, oh, well, you know, Bill Belichick is a fraud all of a sudden. Everything he, he done, everything he has done is, like, invalidated. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying of the two who are very good, I think one shines a little bit brighter. And there's a lot of pressure on the Patriots, I feel like, to kind of, or at least not that's just the Patriots, there's a lot of pressure on Bill Belichick to prove that otherwise. I don't agree with the idea that, oh, if the Patriots miss the playoffs again this year, like that settles it. Because the situations are not the same, right? Like, it doesn't let, settle it. It doesn't even do anything, BLG. Let Bill Belichick get to pick which team he coaches last year. And then we'll see... If, you know, if this season would have turned out differently, like if you let Bill Belichick coach, you know, the Ravens or the Chiefs or a bunch of teams last year, I think his season's going to turn a hell of a lot different. Like Tom Brady got to pick his team. Let's not forget mm. that. It's slightly a different situation. But I do think that they're regardless of that. I think most people will agree with what you're saying. And I think that Belichick knows that. So I'm kind of surprised, especially with Bill, like. Is he really concerned about the salary cap ramifications five years down the road? Like, is he going to even be there in five years? Like, I'm surprised it's not just like, just pay Stefan Gilmore. Like, rework the contract, figure it out, just pay this guy what he wants, and let's get him in camp. Does Bill Belichick, uh, maybe after this season, uh, end up going to Casario and being like, look, you know, I, I know you have to get this trade right because you, you don't want to let me down. Oh. And actually, you're going to have to trade Deshaun Watson to me here because uh, I said so. Right. That's the only way I'll think it's a good deal is if you trade him to me in the yeah. AFC. Yeah. Uh, obviously not realistic. But yeah, I, I think it's just a inter very interesting year. I think there's a lot of people out there who are high on the Patriots just because of it's like, and I think Pete was even talking about this yesterday on Monday Football Monday because like he's done it before. So you're just going to go with that. And I get that. And I, you know, when you and RJ were like really excited about the Patriots signing, you know, Hunter Henry and John Smith in the free agency. And and I don't know, man, I, I just am not really buying in. It goes back to the quarterback situation, which is basic, but that's a big part of it. Um, so it's kind of funny. We, we, we brought up, you know, all this through Stefan Gilmore, but it's like it, it, it does go beyond him. The conversation is very much beyond him. Yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible that they work things out with Stephon Gilmore and the team still stinks because Cam Newton, you know, can't throw more touchdowns and interceptions and just looks like his inaccurate self like he was last year. Um, I'm, it's, a, it's a weird flip the Patriots have made in my mind because of that narrative you talked about with Belichick and Brady. I almost sort of find myself rooting for the Patriots which oh is a God. weird place to be in because of how no. much success they've. I know. I don't want no. to. I don't. It's. I can't help it, man. Like I. It, it's a weird <laughs> yes, thing. I, I hate myself. You, you've been like, uh, Casario'd. Like, like <laughs> are you, you're, you're gonna root for the Patriots because like Bill Belichick is gonna be disappointed in you if you don't support him. No, 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 no. no. The Patriots have won enough stats. You don't. No one needs to feel bad for the Patriots. Stop it. <laughs> No, I don't feel bad for them. I I hate that. I just I disagree with that Brady Belichick narrative, and so mm. I want to see the tide sort of swing the other way. But you're right; it's a, it's a terrible thing. I got to get that under control. That's a me problem. That's a me issue, and I'm sorry. All right, let me take a break to compose myself, and when we come back, we'll get into the juicy part of the power rankings or the dysfunction power rankings because we still have Packers, Saints, and Seahawks left. 
And I think that the ranking is pretty clear. There's a very, very clear number one. So we'll do that after the break. Back here on the off day debrief, BLG. All right, we are, I don't want to say halfway because it's only a five-team list, but we're almost halfway through our dysfunction power rankings here. We are at number three. So far, we had the Texans and Deshaun Watson at number five, the Patriots and Stephon Gilmore at number four. And at three, I go the Packers with both Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. They've already tweeted out that stupid last dance picture. So you already feel like they both have one foot out the door. Rodgers thinks he's going to get traded after the year. Devontae Adams is a free agent after the year. And I know it seems like they sort of smooth things over with Aaron Rodgers because he's back with the team now. But I want to see what happens when adversity hits, BLG. I want to know if this is all still smooth sailing. Like, I, great, they traded for Randall Cobb. Great, just to make Aaron happy. What if LaFleur doesn't play a Randall Cobb that much? Like, now is Aaron Rodgers going to be keeping track of snap counts? Like, I don't think that this whole thing is, like, totally good and everybody's kumbaya in Green Bay. I think that's a really good point about, like, how does this thing go when adversity hits? Because to me, as I've said before, that's what I'm a big believer in stats, especially when it comes to head coaches. Like, how do head coaches and quarterbacks to respond when adversity hits? Because the thing is, adversity, uh, adversity, adversity is inevitable. It's going to happen at some point. And maybe you get lucky in a season and it doesn't really happen. You know, there could be an exception to that rule. But more often than not, you're going to have adversity in some form. Uh, that's why it's kind of funny to me when there's always excuses for players well like there's always adversity out there for everyone so you can't just like say if only everyone is healthy because that's not a realistic situation so when it comes to the Packers I'm looking at their schedule here stats they start off with the Saints the Lions and the 49ers so that's three easy wins for them right off the bat there Um, then they get the Steelers and the Bengals and then the Bears and then Washington football team and then the Cardinals. Like So, I mean, if you want to say the Cardinals are really good, but like they start off with a fairly winnable stretch. So it's possible that they get this thing going. There's positive momentum and everything is fine. But maybe, you know, as they then start to play the Chiefs and then they play the Seahawks and then they play the Vikings in Minnesota Ooh. and then they get the Rams. Kind of a tough little stretch there. Maybe that's like they're one of these teams that gets off to this hot start. Everything looks like normal compared to the past two years. It's like, wow, they're going to go 13 and three or whatever, yep. or 13 and four or whatever now, 14 and three uh, again. <laughs> but they, they get to that rough stretch and maybe things like go a different way. And not only am I interested to see how it holds up in terms of like we've talked about, like how volatile is this thing potentially with Rodgers and Adams, but also LaFleur because look at his first two seasons. I give him credit, obviously, for winning 26 games in the regular season in his first two years, but how does he handle adversity? Like, what is he going to do when things go wrong? Because I think there are situations where there are like front runners in sports in terms yes. of like guys who are great when everything's going great, but when that punch comes, they're shaken and they don't know how to respond and things can fall apart quickly. So I think that's the big question. What did Mike Tyson say? Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. It's one of the best sports quotes of all time. And I agree. There are different aspects to a head coach's job. One is scheming the game plan. One is dealing with disgruntled players. One is dealing with adversity. There are different aspects to it. We know Matt LaFleur can coach, like we said, 26 wins in his first two years. That's the second most in any coach's first two years in NFL history to George Seifert. Shout out, George Seifert. But we don't know what LaFleur is going to do when this adversity strikes. And I, you know, there's another factor too, BLG, and that is the first preseason game is this weekend. Matt LaFleur has already said that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to play. Jordan Love is going to start. He's going to take the majority of the snaps. 
everything goes into the stew when you're talking about dysfunction. Let's say Jordan Love goes out and lights it up in this game this weekend. And has, even all preseason, just has like a great preseason and looks every bit like the first round draft pick that Green Bay traded up to get. That goes into it too, right? Then adversity hits later this season, like you said. Rodgers is being a big pain in the ass. He's complaining about Randall Cobb's snap count. And maybe the Packers are like, you know what? Like, we're done with this. We are done with this. Let's have another 10, 15 years of smooth sailing with our young head coach and our young quarterback. I don't think it's going to work out this way, but I think that's an interesting point about Jordan Love because if he does really light it up and should Rodgers not be who he was last year, which again, I don't think that's likely. I don't know if he's going to be the MVP again, but I still think he's going to be pretty, very, very good and probably very incredibly low chances of him being benched. But if it kind of gets to that point, I mean, what he did this offseason only wore the Packers' patience thin. Like, he did not give himself more cushion at all. He only decreased that, if anything, this offseason. So in that scenario where uh, Jordan Love lights it up in the preseason and Rodgers maybe doesn't, you know, look good, then, uh, yeah, I think Rodgers has kind of, you know, made his own bed, which I guess he might be okay with, kind of, in, in terms of wanting to be out there anyway at some point. But uh, in, in the meantime, uh, it's funny because, again, if they win, if they get off to this hot start and they keep it rolling, all of this could be water under the bridge and fine, whatever. But it's just like... You just it's that if that one little crack happens, like that's kind of where like the the deck of cards could start to fall apart here. And is there anything other than a Super Bowl win that's going to satisfy Aaron Rodgers? Like, let's say they make it all the way to the NFC Championship game again and have another you know 13, 14 win season like you've talked about, and then they lose in the NFC Championship game again, right? Like, I still think Aaron Rodgers is out the door. Even if mm. he wins a Super Bowl, he may still like. So I don't even know what could happen this season that would actually settle the situation for Rodgers and the Packers. Yeah, I think the I think the damage is done. Also, I want to correct myself, not a deck of cards, I meant to say house of cards. Also, I liked how you didn't uh, fight me when I said the Packers are going to get an easy win over the 49ers in, in uh, week three there. So uh, good job by you to accept I reality. I think I've made my feelings known. I think there's no shot in hell the Packers. If, if the 49ers are healthy, there's no shot in hell the Packers win that game. Okay. Um, yeah, I, it's really going to be interesting to see with Rodgers in terms of uh, like, can anything bring him back? I, I, like you said, I don't think so. What would it be? I mean, because even if they win a Super Bowl, like might, might it just be, well, first of all, might he just retire and be like, hey, I'm on my second one. I'm done. Like I'm calling it quits here. You know, I don't want to put my body through this anymore. Like, I'm probably not going to win another one next year. So why don't I just you know call it quits while I'm ahead? Um, so yeah, so even in that best case, he still might be might, might not be back. But yeah, I, I just don't see the path right now. And I think that the Devontae Adams situation is obviously directly tied to the Aaron Rodgers situation. If I'm Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Bay after this season, I'm not going back to the Packers. Are you out of your mind? I got to live in Green Bay year round and I got to break in a rookie quarterback? Forget that. I'll go to, you know, who knows, Kansas City, Tennessee, anywhere, you know, like I'll, I'll take my talents to an awesome team with another really good quarterback. I'm not going to stick around in Green Bay. So what's number two on this list, Stats? Number two takes us to the New Orleans Saints and Michael Thomas. This thing just seems to keep getting worse and worse. It was one thing when Michael Thomas got injured last year. That was terrible. And then, okay, he's going to have to have surgery great he has the surgery and then all of a sudden like randomly a couple weeks ago we find out oh yeah michael thomas just had another surgery and he's gonna miss half the year and it's like wait a minute 
what? And I couldn't understand why he would have possibly waited so long to have the surgery. And now we find out that basically the Saints are wondering the same damn thing. And the reports came out this week that they had tried to check in with him and figure out, you know, did he have the surgery? Was he going to need the surgery? And he was just blowing them off, apparently. And then Thomas fights back. He tweets out that the team is trashing his reputation and he's saving theirs by not sharing his side of the story. Every time we get an update, BOG, it gets worse for the Saints. It's a weird story to follow. It's actually handy that uh, James Dieter from SBNation.com uh, wrote an article about this called Michael Thomas's Rift with the Saints Explained. Uh, so I'd advise everyone to check that out to kind of see all of like the recap of this and kind of like, wait, what's going on here? Like, what? Where does where do things stand? I actually had to read that myself because I'm like, what? what is going on here? I saw this weird stuff. I saw the tweet. Um, like you said, they try to damage your reputation. You save theirs by not telling their, your side of the story. Uh, the subtweeting is never great when that's happening. Staff have been there before. It's not something you want to do. There's no winners in that scenario. So it's really strange. Uh, it's chaotic. I saw in uh, the from Albert Breer, I believe, in the Monday afternoon quarterback that uh, he said he thinks the Saints could trade Michael Thomas. So uh, it, it seems like a weird dynamic right now. It doesn't feel like everything is kumbaya. And the Saints vibe as a whole, which I'm sure you're just torn up about stats, is kind of <laughs> weird. Um, Patrick Robinson just retired today. Shout out to Eagles uh, NFC Championship game legend, Super Bowl season legend. <laughs> but he's walking away. You're seeing these these clips or this clip of Jameis Winston running through that drill uh, where all the players are running through it normally, like all the, the tackling dummy arm things. And then Jameis Winston is like like fumbling his way through it. Um, so just not, not great vibes coming out of New Orleans right now. And I don't understand why Thomas would have a rift with the Saints. Like he... He was like their whole wide receiver core. They fed him like you wouldn't believe. I mean, God, Drew Brees, every time he dropped back to pass, was seemingly hitting Michael Thomas. And you would think that the Saints would want to do everything possible to get things right with him going into a season for the first time in 15 years, basically, where they had quarterback uncertainty. There's no depth behind Michael Thomas. Like, look at the Saints' other wide receivers. Who's Mm. their wide receiver number two? I mean, they're signing... Chris Hogan out of the friggin' lacrosse yeah. league to come and be on their team. They really need Michael Thomas to contribute, and it, it is just completely falling apart. And I agree with uh, the article that a, a Michael Thomas trade wouldn't stun me at all at this point. Yeah, other elsewise at wide receiver, you're looking at like Traquan Smith, Deontay Harris, Marquez Callaway. Um, yeah. You know, not what not, not, not Juwan Johnson, little Jordan Humphrey, Tommy Lee Lewis. Like, I, are some of these real people? I don't know. Um, <laughs> like, these names could be made up for all I know. I'm looking at our lads right now. Uh, yeah, so not great. One of the things I think the issue could be here, stats, is that Michael Thomas might be a little bit too much of like the I'm arrived kind of guy. And now, in fairness, he did and he has arrived and he has been really good. So he's earned some of that. But I think the team might not feel the exact way where he can just walk on water and do whatever he wants, clearly. And especially coming to off of a weird circumstance last year where the production just wasn't there. So I think, you know, there's maybe some kind of mixed feelings about that. Maybe the team or clearly the team doesn't maybe seem to kind of value him, not just financially, but just like like everything that's going on with them uh, or just kind of just feels like maybe they're tired of his stuff. And, you know, just don't want to put up with this or are kind of frustrated with things that are going on. It's definitely weird. There's something weird going on. And I almost wonder if 
Taysom Hill might be a victim of his own versatility in this. Like maybe Jameis Winston has to win the quarterback competition there because they got to start Hill at wide receiver. Like they really do not have anybody that scares you as a defensive coordinator without Michael Thomas there uh, at wide receiver. Now I know Alvin Kamara is going to catch a million passes, but like you got to have more than that. And it's Jameis can't line up as a wide out. So maybe you're almost forced to say, all right, Jameis, you play quarterback and taste them. We're going to, you know, start you a wide receiver, put you in the backfield and just kind of use you that way. One thing I think about the saints is that I don't love how this year is being framed by them for them. And what I mean by that is like, this doesn't from the outside looking in, this doesn't seem to be like the Saints saying, you know what guys, like we went all in on Drew Brees and we might kind of have to take a step back this year now because we went all in and that's the, that's the cost of doing business. But you know, we're going to take this year, we're going to transition into a great season in 2022 and we're going to, you know, build things up and everything's going to be great. Then that might be what they're planning to do. But like from my, again, my perspective, like I'm not really seeing that communicated the, the kind of the company line, the message I'm seeing is like, Hey, Drew Brees isn't here anymore, but Sean Hayton is so much of a genius that it doesn't matter who we have and we're going to make it work anyway. And I just don't, I don't think that, that's like the the right message to be sending. Absolutely agree. And I know that they have a great roster. Everyone loves to talk up their roster. But I, I just I'm surprised that more people just aren't looking at the Saints and being like, yeah, you know what? That's a six, seven win team. Because to me, that's what it looks like. It seems pretty obvious. But you're right. It is not being framed that way at all. They go Green Bay at Carolina at New England, New York and Washington before their week six bye. I, I just I don't see how it's going to be good in New Orleans. The thing with Michael Thomas is unraveling. He doesn't strike me, at least with the way things are. Like, is he going to be breaking down the door to come back to play for this team, especially if they, you know, struggle out of the gates? It, it, there's bad gumbo in New Orleans right now. Bad gumbo. You like what <laughs> I did nice. there? All right, huh. let's go to number Solid one. Most, okay. We can move on from that terrible line. Uh, so then the only situation left and – Call me on it if you think this is my Niners, you know, homerdom. But I think the Mm. Seahawks situation with Jamal Adams and Dwayne Brown is it's just a bad look. I think it's the most dysfunctional situation right now because it involves Adams. It involves Brown and it involves Russell Wilson, who has chimed in in Dwayne Brown's corner now saying that they have to get it fixed, that he looks like a 28 year old out there instead of a 35 year old. Obviously, we know he had complained about the offensive line earlier this offseason and all the sacks he's taking. Well, if Dwayne Brown is not there, forget it. You are not going to get your wish for a more improved offensive line. I don't like anything happening in Seattle. Pete Carroll's getting snippy when he's asked about Jamal Adams. It's just a bad look in the Pacific Northwest. So kind of putting this back into the conversation that we had about the Patriots and like the timeline and everything here. I mean, the Seahawks are clearly in a winning window. Like They have to win now. So that's why I think Dwayne Brown, for example, and Jamal Adams too, like they have leverage. They know they can like say what they're saying and do what they're doing mm-hmm. because what's the Seahawks alternative? Not have supporting weapons for Russell Wilson as you're trying to win another title. And not that his window is super closing, but you know, it's been a long time now since they won that first one. It's been what, eight years or so? Uh, like that's forever in the NFL. So. Uh, and obviously, Pete Carroll is not getting any younger as well here. So I, I feel like it's a situation where the players know they have the leverage and they're going to try to maximize, ma- maximize that, which is good for them. Um, but it's not good for the Seahawks. Like they, I think it's a position where what else can they really do but cave? Like, how are they going to hold firm on this? 
and especially Jamal Adams. I mean, you give up multiple first round picks to acquire Jamal Adams and then you don't re-sign him and you just let him go. Like he has massive leverage. I feel like what Seattle should say when it comes to him is they should Mm kind of say kind of what you were talking about with the Saints. Like, hey, we thought Jamal Adams was going to be the finishing piece, the cherry on top of the Sunday that was going to get us over the hump and get us to the Super Bowl. It didn't work out. That was, you know, we rolled the dice. We came up snake eyes. And that's, you know, that's the price we have to pay. But I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to try and basically throw good money after bad and say, okay, Jamal, here's your top of the market safety contract, which I think long term is not in their best interest. But in terms of leverage, I feel like it's all in Adam's court. It's a classic sunk cost fallacy stats. Yes. It's like, oh, well, we made this trade. Now we have to pay him, even though we probably shouldn't. Although I fear, I kind of wonder, like, do they think that? Do they think, like, we probably shouldn't pay him? Uh, so I kind of wonder about that. But, yeah, I think it all goes back to Russ and kind of trying to keep him happy. I think that's the cost of doing business. You know, we talk about, you know, player movement and quarterbacks and everything. Like, part of what you're paying for when you're paying Jamal Adams could be to keep Russell Wilson happy. So in that case, like, you could argue – I, obviously, in a vacuum, it's not worth paying Jamal Adams that money. But if it if it means that Russell Wilson doesn't want to be there, which it already seems like that is the case. I mean, not right now. Obviously, he's there for this season. Um, he's not he's not getting moved at this point. But beyond this year, uh, and you know, and relationships being fractured in the long term, uh, it doesn't really help. Well, let me ask you sort of the same question that we talked about with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. It doesn't seem like Russ wants to be there. What is going to change that? Is it only a Super Bowl win this year? Because it's not like the Seahawks are not going to the playoffs every year. They are. They're going to the playoffs, and they're just losing before they get to the Super Bowl. So what's going to change with another season like that between Russ and the Seahawks? I think it kind of comes down to what some of the Rodgers stuff was, or at least what he talked about, the quote, respect, end quote, line about because even going back to the interviews that Russell Wilson was doing earlier in the offseason, there were questions about like how involved, you know, he potentially wanted to be in personnel. And there were conversations about that. So I think it's kind of him being involved in that process and really uh, in, in a position to where he feels like the team is doing what he wants them to do, um, which I don't think is really the best way to run a team in general. But again, if you're trying to keep that franchise quarterback, then you're kind of t- in a tough spot. It's one thing to say for a quarterback to say, hey, give up a late round pick to get Randall Cobb and that'll keep me happy. (laughs) It's another thing to say, hey, pay a top of the market safety contract to Jamal Adams, a guy that can't really cover and is known for his pass rushing. So like what you have to do to keep that quarterback happy is is a major factor in terms of like how much influence you want him to have. And then if you if you recognize that signing Jamal Adams to that contract is not a good idea. How do you then finesse that with Russ? How do you explain that to him and yet still make him feel like he's been heard? I don't know. So this might kind of be like the uh, Packers territory here stats where the Seahawks, uh, you know, you expect them to be good because guess what? They've always been good with Russell Wilson. It's hard to really bank on otherwise. And then obviously Pete Carroll being there too. So, but like if those cracks start to form, it's like, does this thing go sideways fast? And I think um, looking at this too, I meant to bring it up in the context of the Saints. Like right now, we're all going into the season knowing what we know about these teams and looking at the history and thinking because the Packers and Seahawks and Saints to some extent have been good in the past, it's going to happen again. But as again, 
I'm mentioning Pete again here. Big shout out to Pete. Big big win for him getting mentioned on the on the podcast. Uh, is that like you know we have our ideas about our preconceived notions going into week one, and then week one happens, and then everything changes as soon as then. So uh, I think reality could bite hard, and I also think it could be very clear in hindsight with these things. It's like oh yeah, no wonder why the Packers or the Seahawks or the Saints or maybe all three, maybe not not all three likely, but some combination of the three. Oh, yeah, they didn't have good years. This was very clear in hindsight that things weren't all right there and there was bad vibes and bad juju. We should have seen this coming, right? Yeah. That happened to the Eagles, honestly, last year's stats. I remember at this time, like, a lot of people were excited about the season. I was still, like, saying, like, I didn't feel great, but I was like, you know, they're still going to win, like, nine games because they have Carson Wentz, and he's been good in the past. But, like, the reality was they had offensive line injuries. Um, there was – Zach Ertz was, like, not happy with his contract situation. Like, there were a lot of bad – uh, signs that you kind of, as a fan or someone covering the team, you might kind of like try to gloss over, or ignore. Um, but you know, the reality is like sometimes, oh, in hindsight, especially, it's like, oh, no wonder why the team wasn't good. Like, there was a lot of bad things going on here. I don't blame any fan who goes into the season kind of overlooking some of the warts on their team. Like, you sure. should go into a season with hope. If you go into a season with no hope, what is the point? Like, if you are a Texans fan this year, like, what is the point? You have nothing to be hopeful. So I get pl- people wanting to overlook the flaws because, like, yeah, that's sort of the whole point. That's what we wait all year for. At least give me give me some hope for the first couple of games. Yes, but I agree with that. I, I don't think anyone should, like, want to feel terrible about their team. But I think it's almost like it'd be healthy for people to kind of write down the concerns on a piece of paper so that when, if things start to go wrong and then you can kind of go back to that and be like, Oh yeah, there were some warning signs here and like kind of validating what's going wrong and not just being totally in denial as things go wrong, or maybe not even the denial part, but kind of maybe like a softer acceptance of this. It's like, well, there were warning signs here. So now that they are bad, like this was kind of inevitable or this was potentially going to happen. Right. Every team has things that are sort of a coin flip. Like, for example, my 49ers, like if they stay healthy, they could be really, really good. But that's a coin flip that could go either way. And depending on how that coin lands, the season's going to take one of two routes. And I think it's okay to acknowledge like, all right, it didn't go our way this time. So now the season is kind of going off in that direction. Uh, Let's transition now before we go to the Dallas Cowboys. Because Hard Knocks, Mm. the first episode is tonight, Tuesday night. And we're going to get our first glimpse into what the inner workings of the Dallas Cowboys. And I don't know about you, but for me, I only care about two things in Hard Knocks. And I don't know how much information I'll get on them. But all I want to see is, one, what the hell is going on with Dak Prescott? I don't buy the line that the Cowboys are trying to sell, that this is a minor thing at all. When we find out that they're going to the Texas Rangers asking them about how to deal with Dak's injury. That doesn't strike me as a minor thing. And two, I want to know what Zeke Elliott looks like. Is he fat? Is he skinny? Is he slow? Is he fast? I don't know. I want to get a look at this guy with my with my own eyes because I find that every time he has some sort of delay or piece of grain of sand in the, in the gears of his offseason, he really struggles during the year. When he has like a normal offseason and he can go and train and prepare, he's awesome. But if there's any sort of interruption, he kind of struggles. So that those are the two things I want to see in tonight's episode. What do you want to see? Well, really quickly on those, obviously I am biased. I'm not even going to try to hide it. Number one, the <laughs> Dak thing. Whenever there's quarterback injuries like this, like it's hard to totally just take the team at their word. I mean, it's a different organization, but look at the Colts and how they have right. you know 
handled quarterback situations in the past, especially with their honesty and everything about them. So uh, I asked RJ Ochoa uh, from the NFC mixtape and no other productions about <laughs> how uh, he felt about like the his concern level about Dak. And he put it at like a three, which I thought was a little bit high, honestly, on a scale of like one to 10, he put it at, at a three. So he is acting like it's not a concern at all, but he had three. So I thought that was interesting. I doubt that we'll learn a ton from hard knocks just because, you know, Cowboys are going to try to play that close to the vest. Yep. Um, and then on Zeke, I just think Zeke is not like cooked to the point where he still can't put up volume stats, but I mean, he just has so many touches on his body. I just, I, I'm selling like Zeke is in the best, best shape of his life. And he's going to be like, he was <laughs> in a rookie again. Like I'll believe that when I see it again, I still think he can be like a relatively good running back, but I don't think he's going to be, you know, like elite anymore. Like he was uh, as a rookie. Now, the thing I want to see the most stats and listeners is Mike McCarthy. I want to see the oh man who RJ Ochoa thinks is the best coach in the division uh, just basically make a fool out of himself. I want to see him on the massage table getting massaged. So everyone could be like, oh my God, the story, the, the, you know, the Bleacher Report story that was out there you know, from his time with the Packers. I want to see him getting a massage. Uh, that's that's the only time I probably want to see the context. I want to see Mike McCarthy getting a massage. Um, and I just want to see him say something dumb because I feel like that is so guaranteed. I feel like that's a lock. It's a lock to happen. Mike McCarthy is going to put a, his foot in his mouth. And I feel like RJ could admit there's a likely chance of this too, considering some of the things he said in the past. Uh, so I can't wait for that moment. Well, first of all, I think it would be awesome if McCarthy got a massage on purpose and made sure it was in there just to troll everybody. I would have more respect for him if he did that. I think that would be fantastic. Like literally start the show where like they bust into the office and he's getting a massage. Like I think that would be a great troll job by Mike McCarthy. But I agree. We are going to see him say something stupid. Some sort of like football guy line cliche thing he's putting his foot in his mouth i would i would bet all the money in my pockets on that right now so that's what i want to see again it's not really like a hey look out for this thing like general fan i just want to you know i want some cowboys uh shot and fraud uh however you pronounce that and i want to see them get embarrassed on you know i want to see <laughs> quote unquote america's team get embarrassed in front of america yeah can we just retire that please Please, can we retire it? They haven't made an NFC title game since 1995. They aren't America's team anymore. So you talked about this with RJ, and he brought up like the purple peeper, people eaters and the steel curtain to like to defend why that's still relevant. Do, does anyone refer to the, the Steelers right now, other than, you know, maybe like here and there uh, in like a headline or whatever, or in a blog, like as the steel curtain anymore? No. Does anyone refer to the Vikings as the the purple people eaters anymore? I don't I don't see that. No, he's totally wrong. Like he's trying to say like, oh, it's a nickname for the general team. No, 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 no. Just like nobody calls the Cowboys defense the doomsday defense anymore. It just, it goes away. We need to retire it. And hopefully when the Cowboys embarrass themselves on hard knocks tonight and in the weeks to come, we will. That's going to do it for this edition of the Oddcast. If you have an extra minute, please, we implore you, go to wherever you get your podcasts, Leave a rating, leave a review. If you ask us a question in the review, I promise you we will answer it on the show. It doesn't take that long for you, but it makes a big difference for us. BLG, enjoy the night, enjoy the week, get your popcorn, get your adult beverage of choice when you watch Hard Knocks tonight, and, you know, just chortle with glee as you watch their season start to disintegrate before your eyes.